Hi, Tony. What's up? You see my boob? I see your boob. I see the the strap on your chair is unfortunately situated. It's just like my boob, I think, is hanging over my strap. I didn't even realize until this moment that I had boobs. Let's call it uh, your, your pectoral. Let's call it what it is. Boobs. Is it just shirt bunched up? I think it is shirt bunched up. I think it might be a mix of both. Is there, are there any other apparatus I like near your chest? The, the strap is very tight. Yeah. Why is it so tight? It's very tight. Cause like, I don't know my backrest. Anyway, how are you? Wait, no, no, no. I don't care about me. Um, I do. It's not always about you, is it? <laughs> well, can someone loosen your strap? Like, if you take a deep breath right now, are you constricted? No, because I'm a belly breather. A belly breather. Yeah, like a ba- you know how like babies breathe with their belly? Like, they don't use their diaphragm. Your lungs are not in your belly? What the hell are you talking about? You don't know where my lungs are. You don't <laughs> know where my boobs are. <laughs> I'm a belly breather. My, I don't have like the ability to expand my diaphragm. It, it oh. just, I think it happens to a lot of people who sit like quadriplegics. Yeah, you're maybe it's not if you sit, maybe it's if you have like a degenerative muscle disease because maybe your diaphragm muscles are like among the first to go or something. Or maybe it's because like it's easier to breathe through your belly. So your body just prefers that route when you're weak. Can I ask some ignorant follow-up questions? Yeah, absolutely. Can you take a deep, a deep breath then? No. That's like the crux of my whole disability. Like I have all sorts of machines to help me breathe. Good Lord. Yeah, like I, I sleep with the machine to help me breathe at night because my body works hard to breathe all day. So the idea is like give it a rest at night, and and then I have like a machine that I can use to like force air into my lungs to like stretch everything out. I'm supposed to use one of those bags, like what paramedics use when they're resuscitating someone, um, to like stretch out my lungs. But I just use a different machine because it's easier. The phrase "stretch out" is somewhat disturbing me. Your lungs. Are stretchy, I guess. So you could feasibly go to physio and they'll like, they'll put a bag over your mouth and like push air down your lungs. Exactly. And then it just like stretches everything out because your lungs are kind of like, it's like a plastic bag. And if you blow into it, it inflates, but there's still like creases everywhere. And those creases is where all the bacteria hides. Oh, so it's like an, it's to kind of clear your lungs potentially. Yeah, it's to like make sure that the bacteria can like get loose and you can get it out, so it doesn't sit there dormantly trying to take over. Are your lungs compromised by your disability? Yeah, it's like my kryptonite. Oh, like it, it, my disability, it's the lungs, and like other forms of MD, it's the heart. Oh, so what is? I I suppose lungs is preferable to heart. This is a crazy way to start the episode. How are you? I'm good. I, What's your kryptonite? Okay, you're deflecting. I, I sure am. My kryptonite is um, video games, alcohol, coffee. <laughs> <laughs> your kryptonite can be something you have control over. 
my kryptonite is um i have a lot of i don't know what my fucking kryptonite is i'm really tight i'm spastic i have like atrophy my bones hurt a lot because i've spent years walking on my arms and now just everything fucking hurts all the time but that's nothing why is that nothing because it's just ergonomic crap yeah that's still something I'm not going to potentially die of, like, uh... Sore bones. Yeah. You might. <laughs> <laughs> Here lies Jamie with the sorest of bones. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine I died of sore bones. <laughs> like, I would be so conflicted at your funeral. Yeah, you'd be like, what a... Hand, I'd be, like, obviously so sad. You're dead, and I have to give a speech at your wedding. I'd be anxious about that. And then, wait, I, I don't know why I said wedding, I meant funeral. I, I was I've just been to all the weddings recently. So. Yeah, like, are you gonna get married at my funeral? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, um, this sucks, but I have an announcement. <laughs> Jamie's dead, but I'm in love. Well, as a priest is here, you mind if we use him for a sec? Yeah, yeah, Jamie would have wanted it this way. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Sorbonne's Mendick. <laughs> like one day I woke up and my shoulder hurt so bad I died. That's <laughs> 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 so silly. People do say that all the time. Like, oh man, I'm so sorry, I'm dying. It's like they, uh, when the paramedics come to try to revive me, they use that that like heating slash cooling pad on my shoulder. Shoulder, <laughs> shoulder. Uh, quick, get the muscle spray, spray. <laughs> so, um. Anyway, we we're talking about your breasts. Right. Of course. You need to. Yeah, you need to. You really need to call the attendants and get them to fix the strap because it looks very uncomfortable. Did you should use the word breast on the phone? <laughs> yeah, you really should. <laughs> hey, can someone just come and fix my breast? <laughs> <laughs> or just act like that's a normal common request. I'd be like, sorry, your what? My breast? Yeah, <laughs> what, what is it you want us to do? Can you someone please come? Fix my breast. Yeah. <laughs> and just don't give them any more information. <laughs> Loosen the strap around my boobs. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, because my chair is so old now, the backrest is like starting to fall apart. And so I need the strap to be very, very tight to hold me over. Oh, what do you mean by fall apart? It's just like, it's basically like breaking down. Like it's like a big foam backrest, but oh. it's so old, it doesn't really have the same support it used to. <clears throat> Do you have like an attendant uh, go through like with a cloth and cleaning solution and just like do a rub down of your chair uh, on a weekly basis? Definitely not weekly. I definitely should. Yeah. Have you ever like, you know, the, the experience of cleaning your keyboard at work, you like turn it over oh, yeah. and tap it. And then and it's all disgusting. the, yeah, all the horrors of your like filthiness just sort yeah. of pour out and you're confronted with the disgustingness of being a mortal creature. Yeah. And you're like, oh, hair and everything. It's just so unflattering and gross. And then you like, you check your periphery to make sure no one saw you do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you bring out a broom to take care of it. <laughs> yeah. The other day I was like, I was showering 
And I like got out of the shower. I start a lot of stories about how I'm getting out of the shower. I think I, I started most to... of my stories with pooping. So right, yeah. I mean, I started the episode talking about my breasts. So <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, like, I think I'm really trying to like signify to our listeners that I'm clean. <laughs> <laughs> I showered today again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just so we're clear, <laughs> I showered. It'd be funny if your story had nothing to do with it. Like today, yeah. I showered in the morning, and then six hours later, I was having dinner. Yeah, <laughs> six hours. <laughs> but anyway, I I got on the shower, uh-huh. and I like uh, I had spilled water on the floor, which is par for the course, of course. Oh, you use shower. water in the shower too, right? Yeah, the yeah, it's a really good cleaning solution. <laughs> water. Do you use soap? What's your routine? Uh, it's uh, yeah, like a Dove, like unscented bar. It's like really unscented. Mo- wow. Yeah, it's it's moisturous. I like it. Uh-huh. <laughs> moisturous. <laughs> <laughs> what do you use on your hair? <laughs> Shut up, Tony. <laughs> anyway, so so I got in the shower and like I spilled water on the floor, but some water got under my power chair tires. You sh- you shower in your power chair? No, like the water that got onto the floor, like oh, like, like drip deep down. I got I yeah, got right because because I guess the room is not perfectly whatever, so water tends to pool in one area. Yeah, so it pooled. It pooled. Yeah, so it pooled, and so I I had to move the the power chair, and I like turned it like perpendicular to me and, and i saw the power chair from an angle that i never see it like i never see oh, the fucking yeah. yeah i never see the back side of the power chair because i'm always i'm always either in it or getting into it mm-hmm. so i only ever see the cab and so that's where i'm like okay i guess it's kind of presentable i've never heard it being referred to as a cab but so i carry on it, that, that's a, like a, a bucket seat what, what do you want me to call it I, no yeah a cab is fine the cockpit yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we should totally call it a cockpit. And it we should can, be a cockpit, and then we can say we can call ourselves a licensed pilots of pilots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to be legally disabled in order to drive it, so you're not. Yeah. Anyway, so anyway, I was in my cockpit, or no, I was outside. <laughs> of, <laughs> I was outside of the cockpit in the shower because you shower every day. <laughs> yeah, because I shower, and uh, and I just saw it and it was like so gross like oh fuck i really need somebody to like power wash this thing that's a job right it's not like it's not like wiping your keyboard off or like cleaning your phone screen you have to like get in there there's all these like cracks and crevices and it's like it's like detailing a car like how often does someone wash their own car but it doesn't feel the same way because you sit in it you sweat in it Oh it's, yeah, it's just like it can't can't be good. It can't smell good. Well, I'm I mean, in it all day. <laughs> I mean, I try to Febreze the chair and like I wash the the seat cushion, but you can't always wash the backrest properly. So yeah, yeah if you're like a sweaty guy, or you go a few days, maybe you have like a like a a, a, a run of mild depression, and you are sweaty and you cover it in Cheeto dust, like right. that can stay with you for a while. You yeah. Know? It's yeah, I definitely that's probably one area of my life that I should really start focusing on is cleaning my chair more often. I don't clean the, the cushion nearly as often as I should. 
maybe like once every two months. Right. The backrest, yeah, also for breeze it, but does that do anything? You're just covering it up, right? Like, yeah, you really and are. It's probably You're... so temporary. It probably lasts like eight minutes. Right. Yeah. Um, I I did get my chair cleaned a bit for, for this past weekend because I went to a wedding and one of my friends did me a solid and wiped my chair down beforehand, um, which was not even on my radar of things to do. And then she was like, I should probably wipe it down your chair. And I was like, thank you. That's an amazing idea. And yes, please. But also like, yeah, I'm just like, I forget. I'm very good at maintaining myself and maintaining my environment. But for some reason, I always forget to clean my chair. And the attendants here, I don't think would even do it. Right. Yeah. Because they'd be like, well, is that even necessary? Like we already showered you. Yeah, this isn't part of our routine. Yeah, what what do you want from us? Yeah, I mean, this yeah. isn't within the scope. <laughs> One time I attended actually randomly for my birthday offered to clean my chair. As and a birthday like, gift? Yeah. What a weird thing to no, offer. No, it was amazing. <laughs> she was like, for you, for your birthday, I would clean your chair. That's awesome. I have several questions there as you were talking and I'm trying to pop the stack. Firstly, like... Why do you have friends in Sault Ste. Marie? <laughs> okay, so that's... Nobody has context for that question. Yeah. I did go to Sault Ste. Marie recently. Last weekend, I went halfway to you. You did? It's in the middle of fucking nowhere. No one ever goes to Sault Ste. Marie. It was a long drive. How did they end up in Sault Ste. Marie? Is everything well, okay? It, it was Jeff McCool, who's been on the podcast... Oh, 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 Jeff. Oh, I'm sorry, Jeff. Got married in Sault Ste. Marie. Oh, the Sioux is great. I love the Sioux. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, his his wife is from the Sioux. So the family was there and everyone went out there to get married. And it was fantastic. Awesome. It is such a long drive. Yeah, I remember texting you to be like, hey, Tony, do you want to play video games with me? And you were like, I can't. I'm driving to the Sioux. Yeah. And I was like, what? And then a small part of me, because I didn't know that this was happening, I was like, is he like driving to Thunder Bay? And I, I was like, I would have loved to do that. I was like, I was scared because I was like, I I have to clean up my garage. I have to do like 10 million things. What have, is he going to like show up at Franco's? Oh, if I was going to do it though, I would just show I would not. And I want to. I, I, but I wouldn't tell you halfway there. I would just arrive. I I thought that I was like, no. If he was coming here, he wouldn't have given me the hint because no. he knows that he knows that I would like. You know that I would ruminate about it and like wonder what is he up to. Yeah, but I, then I realized that after I said I'm in Sault Ste. Marie, you were like, wait, why are you here? And I was like, oh, I hope he doesn't think I'm coming to see him. Not because not like. I hope he doesn't no. get the wrong idea. No, I know, I know, I, I get it, I get it. That close. Like I'm like I'm falsely excited or something. I get <laughs> I it. I hope he doesn't think that I would see him. <laughs> <laughs> I would um, clean my, clean I hope my chair think for that. I have the intention of visiting him. <laughs> no, but I I could tell that like maybe there could be some confusion. So I think I clar- did I not clarify? You did, yeah. You said it was yeah. for a wedding. Okay. Uh how was the drive? Because the drive for me from Ottawa to the Sioux is like always so it feels like like um 
the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy on foot as a hobbit. Like, does it feel shorter from the Stew to Thunder Bay because it's about halfway there? Well, it's it's slightly longer even from the Stew to Thunder Bay because Is it actually, yeah, because there's even less going on, and you you like you never have a two lane highway. Oh no, it's a long drive. I will say there there's some good things about it. Like it's just one highway it's like a pretty straightforward drive you don't have to worry about a lot of like winding roads and missing a turn and you basically just get on the highway and stay on it for a day yeah but because of all that it drones on for sure it does it really doesn't feel like you're moving it's sort of like the beginning of star wars where you're just everything's flying by you but you don't actually know if you're moving yet okay (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, let me uh it's you know Frasier, the TV show? Yeah, I love that show. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's like that. It's like a like a psychotherapy session with Niles. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I completely understand. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um anyway, so it was a super long drive. Have you ever been on the road for that long in a single boat? Not since I was a kid, probably. Yeah. We used to take road road trips all the time. As a kid, but I haven't done the longest was maybe when I went to my brother's cottage. That was like a six and a half hour drive, maybe. Okay, okay, yeah. Uh, but Thunder Bay or Susie Marie was, I mean, it's like about eight or nine hours of driving, but then we stopped a couple of times. And so it took a long time. That's the other thing, too, is you're always kind of like eating shitty food because everywhere you stop is like a Wendy's or. Yeah, there's no really good place to stop. Yeah. I mean, visually, the landscape is pretty nice. At least the tail end of it, you get closer to the lakes and stuff. Yeah. See, that's the entire experience of of driving from Sioux to Thunder Bay is just like lakes. Okay, so I would enjoy that. Maybe. No, I would. I know I would. I love, like, even on the trip to Sioux St. Marie, I wasn't really bored, per se. Like, I I never felt like I needed to check my phone or something. I was just sort of soaking all of the scenery in. It just didn't feel like there was that much to soak in at the beginning. Was it at all strenuous on your body? Because you're in, like, a bumpy vehicle for that stretch of time? I don't know. Well, that's the thing. Because it's all basically one highway, it wasn't very bumpy for most of the trip. Okay, and your breasts were situated properly? Yeah, like I had the one breast in the <laughs> chest strap and the other one securely above. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions about my breasts? Uh, I'll probably think of a few more. Yeah, absolutely. I'm always open to them. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Tony, I'm a bachelor. I don't get to talk about breasts very often. I'm a little fixated. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can stay at mine as long as you want. <laughs> Thanks, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh that was what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it feels like we haven't talked in so long. I've been very, very busy with work lately. More busy than usual, but in a way that is quite good. Like, I'm really enjoying it. I can't talk about it in great detail, but um, it's not a bad thing that I'm busy with work. And then I went on vacation this week, and so I've just been kind of resting. and You doing went my own on thing. vacation? Yeah. Yeah, where'd you go? Well, I sorry, I... I only go places in my mind. <laughs> I thought you were going to go to like a, like a cottage or something. No. Well, maybe I might 
maybe go to my friend's camp this week at some point. Oh, that's this week. That's what that was last week. Yeah, I was supposed to go a, f- a few weeks ago, but it kind of fell through. Oh, okay. Are you at the point where you're ready to, to go out? I'm far, I'm far less anxious about uh, going out now. I just need yeah. to, I just need to do it. And so I've been kind of gradually uh, doing stuff, which is good. Is it one of those things where you're like nervous right before, and then you get out there and it's fine, or are you sort of nervous the whole time and then you get home and you feel relieved? It's kind of a mixture of both. It depends where we're going and what we're doing. Right. Like if I'm just out with friends and we're like we're close together the whole time and whatever there's no there's no pressure i'm fine but i don't like going places where uh i don't like going to bars and stuff like that yeah but i'm I'm feeling a lot older in that sense too like like i went to blues fest a lot this week which you know as as you know just like a big outdoor music festival for like 10 days and in the past all like going be with the crowd and like being and people be bumping into me and falling on top of me and and it's like all part of the experience but now I'm just happy to like go to the accessible area where it's just you, there are chairs you can sort of sit away from everyone and just enjoy the music and I think it's also because the music I listen to now is more relaxed and I'm not like partying to the music, I'm just sort of enjoying it yeah, I don't really want to party. I yeah, just want to. Ha- I want to hang out, and I do want to laugh, but I don't want to like get fucked up. Or I'm not really interested in like meeting perfect strangers in that context. Exactly. Yeah. It's. I guess we're just getting older. Yeah. It's. What was I gonna say? The other thing is, is that like I'm kind. I'm kind of like sore. Like you have sore bones. Yeah, my bones are sore. You right. know, and it's like which is. Potentially fatal for you. Yeah, potentially terminal, depending on the, how I'm sitting for a long period of time. Terminal, you sore bones. Yeah, and so you know, like sometimes when we're when we're out, like I'm getting just I'm getting uncomfortable, or I have to pee or something, and it's just like fuck, I want to get out of here, but I can't leave on my own. Yeah. And when we were in like Ottawa way back in the day, if I went somewhere and I wasn't feeling it, I could just go. But sure. When I'm out with people in Thunder Bay, I can't really just pick up and go. And so it's that's kind of also preventing me from... Because that would also alleviate my anxiety if I had a choice. Yeah, there's like nowhere that you can go in a walking distance, right? Yeah. So it's... And then it's like, so if I'm sore and I got to pee and I'm stuck out somewhere that I don't want to be, it's like I end up thinking about all these things and then it, it conflates in my mind. And then I get like tired and I'm like, you know what? I don't want to go out at all. And I know that, that that particular thought pattern is quite destructive and potentially, you know, like a symptom of, I don't know. But um, whatever. I'm slowly getting over it. Eventually, I'll fucking, I'll fucking go to Ottawa. I there promise. it is. That's what I've been waiting for. That's my, that's my goal. And I, and I thought that's if I told you. my goal for you. I was worried that if I told you that I went on vacation, but I didn't plan a trip to Ottawa, that you'd be upset with me. <laughs> I am upset at you. <laughs> I didn't know you were on vacation until last night. I know. Uh, yeah, you should have come to Ottawa. Well, but you have a busy life right now. Like, yeah, imagine but I would have made time for you. Yeah, I know you would have. I know, of course, you would have. But imagine like all these cool things are happening, and then I'm like, 
I just like pop in like, hey, Tony, what's up? Dude? Yeah, that would be amazing. You could just come do the cool things. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We could go. We could. We could. Uh, what would what would what would we do? We'd just we would go up. to Blues Fest together. Oh yeah, Blues Fest. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. If you came this week, Blues Fest is over. And this week, it's like super nice here. It's beautiful. It's hot, but I love that. And yeah, we could just do anything we can go anywhere we can oh i'm i'm upset at the, well when you when you when you get back from spain september september okay so maybe i can come for like a long weekend in september yeah for sure you have to come in september now at least it'll still be nice enough out yeah september in ottawa is beautiful i think i'm home the last two weekends of september okay all right yeah that you have to come because there's only like a few weeks left till I leave now. Right, till you go to fucking Spain. Are you going to work remotely from Spain? I mean, I'll bring a laptop, but I booked the time off. And that's cool. Good. I mean, I'll probably end up having some work to do. Maybe we'll see. I don't know. But um, I don't intend on, like, I intend on actually vacationing. Good. Have you felt like you've had any time off uh, in recent, like, throughout the summer at all? Definitely not throughout the summer. I mean, I look forward to long weekends. Sometimes I'll work a bit more on like a Thursday night so that I can take a bit, I can start or finish my work day a bit earlier on Friday. But yeah, it definitely, I, I haven't taken three weeks off in forever. I mean, I took a bit of time off last Christmas, but I didn't go anywhere or anything. This is going to be just crazy. I wonder, I've been thinking about it lately, like the requirements of a vacation that it's entirely possible to have a full vacation and not feel like you rest it. Absolutely. And this one might be that because it's going to be like we're doing a few different cities and a bunch of different places and like there's traveling and we're, you know, it's a big trip. I've never been to Europe, so we're kind of packing a bunch of stuff in. So it probably will feel, definitely the first two weeks, I think we'll be doing something every day. The last week, we're just sort of on a beach resort, so maybe it'll be a bit more relaxed, but I don't really expect to come back feeling all that rested. The, the, so the interesting thing is, like, everyone has a different definition of rest. Right. Ba- basically, rest is like respite from your typical routine. Right. So feeling like you've you've adequately compartmentalized from the parts of your life that feel potentially dutiful or like are laden with the responsibility. Yeah. So like mentally, if I go on vacation, but there's still a part of my brain that's constantly thinking about what is what I have to do when I return to work, then I don't actually ever really have like a mental reprieve. I don't feel like I've had a life away from work. I think that's kind of the important thing is to feel like you've you've escaped <laughs> from your your daily routine for a while. And how do you do that? It's an interesting question. For me I can do it sometimes when I get really into a good TV series or book or video game, I can just disappear, but then I can lose a lot of time to those things and not really remember how I spent the time. So it can sort of feel like it was lost. It also feels like, at least for me, when I take a few days off, 
the first couple of days, I don't even know what to do with myself. Yeah. And then but the third day, maybe like it, it takes almost a week to sort of feel like you are on vacation. Like a yeah. long weekend, a three-day weekend just feels like a good weekend. Yeah. A, a four-day weekend feels like a little bit of a break. But yeah. when you take a week off, you feel like you can actually, at the end of the week, you've unplugged a bit. And then you got to you gotta plug in again. Yeah, and then you have to sort of like almost wrap yourself back up to the whole thing. And that's what I'm worried about. I get back on Labor Day weekend, so I have a Monday in between. But basically, I'm going to have to hit the ground running on a Tuesday. <laughs> this is why I fantasize about being unemployed sometimes. Uh, yes. You know? It's yes. Like, and I guess, like, if the, we, 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 we shouldn't complain. No. I mean, like, I, especially, I'm, I'm going to be spending so much money on this trip. Like, I need a job. <laughs> Good question. Are you concerned at all about uh, accessibility on this trip, or do you feel like you've made all the necessary precautions? I think it's going to be part of the adventure. I'm not one of those people who stresses a lot uh, when I'm traveling. The parts that scare me the most are the flights, because I'm worried that one of those horror stories you read about in the news where airlines break a wheelchair because... Whoever's working that day handling the luggage isn't careful or cautious or aware enough of how wheelchairs work that they just break something and then you have to get it repaired. Especially having to, if I arrive in Paris and my wheelchair is messed up, it's going to be very stressful from there to try to get everything back together. But once I'm there, I think I'll be okay. Like, you know, navigating a, an inaccessible venue or a hotel room that doesn't quite work for you, that doesn't bother me. <laughs> That's actually, like, kind of a funny premise for, like, an off-kilter comedy. Like, a disabled guy from Canada decides, like, oh, I'm going to go on my first trip to Europe and I'm going to go with a couple of friends, but ostensibly by myself. Or, like my autonomy will be a, a major piece of it and i uh they get to france and their power chair breaks down and you can't get it like a replacement chair for like uh at least a week or something stupid so they have to figure out all kinds of novelty ways of like getting you around yeah just like carrying me around yeah they probably just buy me a stroller <laughs> Like some like carriage in the shape of a croissant or something, <laughs> <laughs> or like you just think that Paris doesn't have American or Canadian looking strollers. They're all in the shape of like baguettes and other French foods, or like <laughs> like antique like Euro architecture. <laughs> I don't know. Like uh, France is too cultural to just give you some you know boilerplate wheelchair. Yes, it's also not um, how you say artistic enough to, you know, really demonstrate the culture. <laughs> yeah, so but like it would be funny if you kind of like, uh, how, like, well, how does Anthony exist now without a chair in France? <laughs> he doesn't. I don't think he does. <laughs> like you just like you're just like so sitting miserable. in. Get if I get all the way there and my chair is broken. Ugh. 
I mean, devastating. <laughs> They'd be like, we are so sorry, Anthony. Here's some complimentary fromage. <laughs> well, that's supposed I'm like, oh, well, in that case, it's fine. Yeah. You can keep the wheelchair. Yeah, we don't have we don't have a wheelchair for you, but here's a wheel of cheese. Here is some green coming back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been to France before, I see. <laughs> oh yeah. Many times. How can you tell? <laughs> but really, if you could go to France and like visit all of the all of the tourist trappings, like if you could go to like is the leaning is the oh, it's the Eiffel Tower. The Leaning Tower of France. The Leaning Tower <laughs> of Eiffel. <laughs> yeah, like if you could go to the peak of the Eiffel Tower in a Western power chair, that would be like, it would be the ultimate indictment of general accessibility. Apparently the way it works with the Eiffel Tower is you pay to go up and then you pay more to go up more and then you pay more to go up for more. Jesus, so it's like literally <laughs> hierarchical. Yeah, like no, 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 the poor people are at the bottom of the top of the Eiffel Tower. You just go to the top of France. <laughs> yeah, for that you go to Leaning Tower. <laughs> um, so okay, so <laughs> I'm excited. I I think I wish you could keep like a video journal or something. Yeah, I'm really bad. Not even just for like the practical. Well, maybe. I don't know if it's a chicken or the egg, but obviously, like, I can't take pictures very easily or videos, so I don't. But I also don't really ever have the desire to. Like, I just like to be present and in the moment. We've talked about this. Yeah. But then after the fact, I always want pictures to, like, remember it. Well, like, I feel like you're dissuaded from taking pictures on your phone because you don't want to seem vain. It's, It's partially that, like... I'd prefer definitely not to be in the picture. Yeah. But also, like, there are definitely parts of any trip where I see something scenic and I think, oh, that would be a great picture. And I never am able to take it, so I don't. So I just try to, you know, soak it in mentally. And also, I'm always sort of disillusioned by people who are constantly taking pictures of everything. Like, in my mind, I always just think, can't you just enjoy it? Like, can't you just be present? Yeah. But those are the people that I rely on after the trip to be like, hey, can you send me those pictures? (laughs) Exactly. So it's kind of a double standard. Yeah. I think if you just tell yourself that it's for document purposes, you know, in order so that I can feel like I'm there vicariously. Yeah. That's a thing, like... Anytime one of my friends does something that I can't do, like even on this trip, you know, if if someone wants to go snorkeling, I'm not going to go snorkeling. So I'm going to say, bring this camera with you and take pictures so that I can vicariously snorkel. Well, they don't have like a raft that you can sit on and like watch them snorkel, like like a like a pontoon boat. Yeah, but that's still not snorkeling. <laughs> <laughs> And they give you like, like, like a novelty land snorkel. More would that even be? Just a regular, a regular. <laughs> You're just sitting on the beach with a snorkel. <laughs> Maybe like a VR headset and a snorkel on. Yeah. <laughs> Every once in a while, someone comes and dumps a cup of water on your head. 
<laughs> I forgot to mention, Tony, your hair is dashing today. Dashing, right? Yeah, thank yeah. you. You look like you're ready for your side profile pick for your boy band album. Do you want me to turn Tegan to the other side? Because it won't be flattering. No, I know. It always breaks the, it breaks <laughs> the, the spell. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I guess we can no longer avoid the subject of today's episode, can we? I was really hoping we could, honestly. <laughs> I made you I, I made you watch something this week, but I gave you so much warning that you wouldn't enjoy it. Here's what happened. We took a week off, obviously. Thanks everyone for sticking with us. Welcome back. Jamie hits me on was it Sunday night? Because we usually watch Monday with movie tomorrow? How about this movie? You'll hate it, but it'll be fun to discuss. And I was already like because I went to the wedding, then I did news fest. I was already feeling kind of burnt out, and a big part of me was thinking, maybe we should just take a second week off. I I kind of felt those vibes. I felt the vibes. Yeah, and then you said, let's watch a movie you'll hate. And I immediately was like, really? After a week off, you want to hit me with a movie I'm going to hate? Well, but I, we, I, I queued up Liar Liar so that it would ease the blow. Is that the last movie you watched before the, the holiday? I don't think so. I don't even remember. But yeah, that was a fun movie. And that is fair. You did give me that. I appreciate that. I did, yeah. I gave you a spoonful of sugar before the medicine went down. Yeah. This did feel like medicine, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Except I don't feel any better. <laughs> so, like, here's the, here's the thing, uh, listeners. We watched a true crime documentary this week and anthony doesn't like true crime because he's like a well-adjusted human and so so the, the you're falling asleep already i haven't even said the synopsis oh right i should reach up for this because i don't know what happened you didn't watch it what were you I mean, doing it was time? on my eyes were looking at it i was staring at the screen and you disassociated here's what happens i just don't like true crime We've talked about this. I saturated myself with true crime when it came out. I was pretty obsessed with it when it came out. Okay, I first of all, it all... didn't come out. It's always existed. Bill Curtis... It, on... No, it came out. There was a <laughs> definite moment where <laughs> the whole market was about true crime. True crime has existed since Errol Morris's uh, famous documentary, The Thin Blue Line, in the 1980s. I appreciate that. But the, the novelty of, like, crime porn became relatively big relatively recently. Pornography is a strong adjective, Tony. And I used it intentionally. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, with true crime, to me, most of these stories are the exact same. There's the exact same plots, the exact same people. You know what it feels like? It feels like when an old lady comes to your house and she sits on the couch and just starts talking about the gossip around town. And maybe the stories are interesting, but she's not a good storyteller. And now I have to like work extra hard to somehow be invested in the story I already had no investment in. I don't care about the characters. I don't care about the plot. It's just like an old lady telling stories on a couch. And every single one of these documentaries uses the exact same soundtrack. It's just the same set of music that sounds like 
you're studying a library or you're like watching some inspirational movie or some ominous it's it's all the same clips and then the b-roll is so stupid and jarring and off-putting it's just like they'll be like and then he threatened her and then the the, the image is just the zoom in on the word threatened on a page a, a newspaper article highlighted the word threatened and now i'm supposed to be visually invested in this story uh it drives me crazy I, I just focus on all the wrong things. I'm like looking at the backdrops, like why is she sitting in the gym right now? Why is she in the library? She's back in the gym. What is happening? Yeah, so it's um so when Tony talks about B roll, he means there's like basically every documentary, traditionally speaking, has talking heads, which are the interview subjects, which are usually there to attest to the sort of the main players of the narrative they tell the stories about the murders and their victims and the investigators and everything else so the talking heads but almost always they're not good storytellers right right yeah and quite oftentimes the documentary itself uh, is heavily edited so the speech that you're hearing is not relaxed and conversational like it is in a podcast like between tony and i when we're talking about like you know being in france without a wheelchair <laughs> but it's it's more like highly kind of cut and stitched together to make the story that the, that the director is looking for. Um, and so there are, yeah, there's the talking heads and then there's the B-roll footage, which is what Tony was talking about earlier, where they have these like infographics that are sort of positioned as um, the citations for what the talking heads are talking about. So it'll like as Tony said, it'll show like a clip of a zoomed in newspaper and then like highlighter will appear over top of like the keywords that are meant to kind of uh, set the scene for you in your mind and to lend credibility to what these people are saying. It feels more like truth when you see the 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 highlighter. Yeah, it's the supporting documents or whatever. But then there's also the the other side of it too, which is the reenactments, yeah, the a, a convention. Uh, that... Even worse, every reenactment is like set in slow motion because they didn't get enough footage to to take up the space of the man talking endlessly about his crazy grandma or whatever. Right. So it's the the reenactments are interesting because when you're not really looking for them, when you're just trying to understand the the narrative beats of the story and you're kind of invested in the the the, the players and the the questions being posed by the documentary, like a lot of times the reenactments are um, legitimate connective tissue for you to kind of get more invested in the narrative. But when you're watching it from the point of view of like somebody who makes movies or maybe even like makes or edits podcasts, like you're, you're, you're seeing these things and, you're noticing how manipulative they are because you're realizing that the the director is suggesting details about an event that may not necessarily be true. Sometimes they're not even relevant. Like there was this one scene I remember in this uh, documentary where I don't even remember what they're talking about, but I remember it feeling completely unrelated. And then the B-roll that they're showing, it looks like just stock footage of a mom pushing someone in a swing. Right. And it's just like so jarring to me because it doesn't ground me to the story. It doesn't 
bring me in. It doesn't do anything but just make me question why did they choose this? How much did they pay to license this footage? Like, what did they search for in the search field to find this image? Yeah, you're you're right. I would agree with all of this. These are classic kind of tricks of the trade, and they were popular back in the day. Like when I was a kid, whenever I got sick, I got to sleep in my parents' bed, and I would drink ginger ale, and the humidifier would be on, and I'd be I'd get to lie in bed and watch TV, and it was like the best thing in the world. See now, if I was editing this as a documentary, I would zoom in on a can of ginger ale. I would yeah. pan over to a man who kind of looks like you, but not really, in yeah. a bed with Kleenex all around him. And the music would be ominous because you're a little sick. And then I'm supposed to somehow be invested in all that? Whereas really, it's just a Werner's commercial? <laughs> a doting mother would come along and like put a cold cloth on my forehead and I'd be lying there. the budget for a plot. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, but anyway, like, so all, all this is to say is that I have some major, like all of these storytelling tricks kind of resonate with me. They resonate with a part of my childhood, I guess, a little bit. And I know that's pretty heavy handed. Like, I know I'm slightly full of shit when I'm saying this. Yeah, good on. What was the first two grand argument you watched? I like uh, as I said, American Justice uh, on A and E. As you said, did you say that? I'm, I might have not said it. I'm, I'm getting, <laughs> a little, I'm getting a little, a little t- sassy. I guess. Sorry, dude. <laughs> as everyone knows. <laughs> <laughs> but there has to be people like at home, like around our age or whatever, who who understand what I'm what I'm talking about. I know what you mean, but I've never appreciated the art form. Right. Not that I don't appreciate documentaries. It's just, I feel like there are good documentaries, and then most of them are just okay. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. And and I think Netflix uh, Netflix kind of pulls a trick on you because it, it essentially makes episodes of American Justice that should only be about 45 minutes and are quite campy and trashy, but they try to elevate it to the point of like legitimate full-on documentary film. And the problem is that there is is such a there there is so much uh of a common kind of like uh documentary language between all of Netflix's true crime output that you can't really distinguish one from the other. Yeah. And so as you're saying, it kind of trivializes the stories that they're trying to tell because it's all the same beats. And so especially when it's dealing with quite heavy uh subject matter, it can sort of diminish the the intent or the message, the whole prospect of enjoying a true crime uh, uh, film is kind of potentially wishy-washy. It's, I don't know, Chris, I'm not even sure why I don't like it. I like a lot of documentaries. I like the genre of documentary. I'm, I'm interested in like the human psyche and why people do crazy things and some of the crazier things people do. I like a good story. I like a good crime story. But for some reason, I, I think it might genuinely just be that I saturated myself with it. And now I feel like I've heard a version of every story already. So yeah. unless there's some crazy new thing in the story, I have a hard time caring about this new version of the character that I've already heard about. Or if it, or like if the story doesn't necessarily draw any 
satisfying conclusions about the nature of uh, crime, about the nature of criminality, or or the respective victims, then you kind of wonder why you watched the, the thing to begin with. Yeah, and if you don't relate to any of the characters, then it's even harder. So all that said, there was no disability in this thing. There was. and There was not. <laughs> there was is... one shot of one person no. in a rocking chair and another shot of another person in a wheelchair for three seconds. That's it was it was more than three seconds. There was a, a, okay, so the doc, the documentary was an hour and forty six minutes long. Yeah, There's and a, by an hour and twenty six minutes long, still no wheelchairs. Yeah, so the the wheelie appears in the last fifteen minutes of the film. Which is outrageous. But it's not my fault that they didn't. It is your her. fault. You picked this movie. <laughs> no, no, yes. because my art. Okay, first of all, we need to give our listeners some context around this character and their purported importance, according to me. It needs to be according to you because I still don't know what happened. <laughs> okay, so this this documentary is about a woman in uh, in 1990 who was uh, a dancer at a, at a gentleman's club who shows up uh, part of a hit and run. Like, I guess somebody, like some pedestrian finds her and she's like very near death and they take her to the hospital and notify her next to the kin. And, and like, she's kind of clinging to life and she eventually succumbs to her injuries it's funny because I know that they said all of this in the documentary, probably right at the beginning, and yeah. I'm learning all of this for the first time. So, okay, so uh, this woman dies. She's only 20 years old. Like, she has a really strong reputation among amongst her coworkers. They all love her. They think, like, she's such a, a generous, uh, kind, funny, interesting person. There's a bunch of, um, of talking heads that kind of talk about... Um, I'm going to call her Sarah Connor because she looks exactly like Linda Hamilton to me, young Linda Hamilton in uh, the first Terminator. (laughs) And she has many, many aliases throughout the film. And I can't remember all of them. So I'm just going to call her uh, Sarah. And so (laughs) Sarah dies and her coworkers are trying to like look, uh, are trying to notify her family members. And um, it turns out that the local law enforcement is also trying to identify her and they realize that she's using a fake name that she's not who she said she was. Uh, and so this sort of unlocks or it leads to this whole mystery of who was Sarah actually, and how can we get a hold of her family and let them know that she's gone. And so in the, in the attempt to try to identify her, they uncover this whole web of, of uh, trauma and, and abuse and it's quite dramatic, like to the point where if you took this true account of events and made it into a Hollywood script and tried to sell it as fiction, like somebody would accuse you of being a bad writer because all of these uh, cascading tragedies, they don't, it doesn't seem realistic that it could all happen to one person being Sarah. I don't really want to ruin the plot of the movie. I think if you're into true crime, it's quite good. It reminded me of a of another uh, documentary I really like called Dear Zachary. No, Dear Zachary is so good. 
Well, I I think if you were not so furious with me about my premise for this episode of the podcast, you might have been able to enjoy the film a little bit more. And maybe if you just said, hey, there's a true crime documentary, I think you should check it out. Yeah. I wouldn't have, but maybe eventually, and then had a different appreciation. But you said, hey, there's a really movie we can watch for the podcast. Right. But anyway, so like throughout this film, we sort of realized that um, Sarah's guardian is a is a psychopath, a, like a deeply, deeply damaged man who abducted her when she was a child. And um, he has a, a whole history of violence. He was a victim of a, an abusive uh, foster care system in the 1940s. Uh, he was sent off to uh, the war in Vietnam and um, uh, basically scarred by that whole experience. And it just sort of bolstered this like hugely destructive pattern of behavior and made him into the worst possible version of himself. And at one point, he married a woman with uh, three children and abducted the one daughter and took her with him to go live another life. And she basically, he basically used Sarah, like made her uh, get jobs and sell her body and whatnot to, to finance their lifestyle. And because she was abducted at such a young age, she sort of didn't know how to escape the dynamic. And so there's a whole bunch of like crazy things that happen therein. The like the film does a fairly good job of like recounting all this information, but keeping Sarah kind of like at the forefront of your mind. So it's not like more of these salacious true crime docs that get really, really into the despicable nature of the abuser. Like he's still there and they still sort of recount what he did, but they're very, very careful to make sure that Sarah in your mind is a fully three-dimensional person and that there, there was a side of her that had she never encountered this uh, abusive foster i guess foster or stepfather if she never came under the influence of this abusive stepfather then she would have had a very good life and so yada 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 a whole bunch of revelations down the road we are eventually introduced to sarah's biological parents and sarah's mother is in a wheelchair no, she's old. No. She's not disabled. No, Tony, wait, just wait. Let me, let me, let she's me. She's just so old, her legs won't support her anymore. Let me hash this out. What? What is her disability? Being a hundred? <laughs> she's not necessarily a hundred. First of all, uh, Sarah was born in the 60s, so she's likely my mom's age. No way. She's way older than that. Well, she looks older because she's probably had a really hard life. That's fair, but not because she's disabled. I think she was just in a wheelchair for filming of this. Okay, so I, I'm going to argue that Sarah's mother was born in 1950, which would make her a year younger than my mom. I'm going to argue that Sarah was born in 1920. <laughs> anyway, I, the point that I'm trying to make is, um, okay, first of all, her disability might be pertinent Here's here's the thing. My disability like, might be fake. No, it's not fake. Let me. Okay, when I first watched this movie by myself, I got to this point in the film. Basically, so by this point in the film, like they've detailed all the abuses that uh, Sarah's stepfather uh, committed against her, and then he gets convicted and sent to jail, and he he still won't tell investigators like who Sarah actually is, like what her real name is, who her parents were. And how he got a hold of her. So the whole time this 
this movie is posing the question, not necessarily how did Sarah die, but who was she? And it's a compelling mystery because there's not an easy answer. So there's several law enforcement officers. There's like a, there's like a true crime author. Uh, there's a number of social workers who are all like really invested in this question. And they've been tormented for years and years about it, uh, not being able to figure out who she actually was. And then finally, in the last like 10 or 15 minutes, like they they get a breakthrough where it turns out that Sarah had a number of children because she like was in a sex trade essentially. And so she had a number of pregnancies that she carried to term. And so uh, she couldn't look after them. So she gave them up for adoption. So we figure out, you know, that all oh, like, you know, she has this whole lineage of kids and they've all ended up okay. And it's actually kind of wonderful because, you know, even if she died, like her, her, she still sort of lives on through her children who all appear to have carried forward several of, of her uh, most affecting and compelling qualities. So it's kind of a happy ending in that regard. Like, you know, trauma, it, trauma is generational, but, it, but the, the buck can stop somewhere so long as the right people step in and actually give a fuck. But anyway, so we are, we're introduced to Sarah's biological parents and Sarah's mother's in a wheelchair, as I said, but Tony, it's not necessarily an extraneous detail. Number one, I just, I want to focus for a couple of minutes on how she is portrayed in the film. Okay. Sarah's mother. Sarah's mother. Okay. The one who's not in a wheelchair. The one who is in a wheelchair and she's in a wheelchair the entire time her talking head is recounting Which is all of eight it. Seconds. No, it's not eight. She's she she's given about five minutes of film time. Yeah, of a ninety-five minute movie. Okay, but let me just let me just let me just make a point for a second, okay? I think I think this movie doesn't give us enough information about her. But but it wants us to think that she is complicit in all of the things that have occurred with Sarah up to this point. So some part of Sarah ending up with this fucking uh, psychopathic stepfather is because the mother was not a very good caretaker, which is, which is sort of shocking to me for a number of reasons. So first of all, the movie cannot uh, interview the stepfather uh, he refuses to be interviewed, so it can't necessarily have a villain that you can see. Like we have photographs of Floyd, and we have audio tapes of him being interviewed in prison, but you can't really get a full picture of who he was. So you can have a few moments with the mother, and the movie wants us to think that the mother is culpable, which may be true, maybe entirely true, but. It only spends about five minutes with her. And I think it's, it's it has to do with the structure of the documentary because it wants us to, it wants the introduction of the mother to be a revelation, like a part of the solution of the mystery that is presented by the film. So it doesn't want to spend too, too much time with her because she's more of like a beat in the mystery structure than like an actual desire to sort of like understand fully what happened to Sarah in her childhood. But if you want, if you want to create a villain in your documentary, if you want to convince us that she's culpable, you got to spend more than five minutes with her. So I was a little frustrated with that. The other thing is, is that the movie somewhat suggests that there was a, an incident that occurred uh, shortly after Sarah and her siblings were born that caused that caused her mother to have a mental breakdown. Like 
at, at some point she was living alone with the three children. Her The biological father was off in Vietnam and there was a tornado that came through and destroyed her trailer park. And the movie doesn't make this exactly clear whether or not this was a disabling incident. And I know you're going to think like, oh, you're fucking crazy. Like, obviously, that wasn't what disables her. But I'm saying I think maybe there's a chance there's a chance that she got disabled as a result of of um, of that incident, because in one of her like testimonials, she said there was a point where I was with the children in a living room, like in a hotel room or something. And suddenly I just couldn't move. And it, it doesn't elaborate on those details. Doesn't say whether or not she got injured or she's experiencing some kind of psychosomatic pain. But it does then cut to an establishing shot of her fully in her wheelchair, which is suggesting in some sense that maybe the chair is a result of whatever trauma she experienced after that tornado. And then she talks about how after that traumatic incident, she was subsequently not able to look after the children adequately. So she went she went to the hospital and a nurse told her that she had to go to church, like pray the pain away. And it was at church where she met Floyd, the eventual stepfather, who subsequently uh, abducted the children. So my question is, is like, was she unable to be a present parent because she was actually disabled? And why doesn't the movie clarify that? Why does it leave it up to subjectivity? The other thing is, is that when when they I know I know you think I'm like being conspiratorial and whatever I know I know <laughs> this whole incident is interesting to me because it's the first time that I've ever seen a documentary subject who is who was disabled who is considered a villain okay so that's interesting to me and then <laughs> secondly the way they introduce her like okay when they first introduce Sarah's biological father they let him talk about his PTSD from the war and they let him explain why he was a different person after he came back from the war and why he couldn't be a present father for Sarah and why he decided not to adopt the kids. And he's very, he's very well-spoken. He's very calm and reserved. There's a lot of regret in his voice. You can tell that he wishes he made a different decision. But the movie lets him have the fact that he could not be a present parent. It, however, does not allow the disabled mother that same courtesy. They think The movie thinks that she should have fought harder to obtain her child after she was abducted. Like, I'm, And I'm not saying that the movie's wrong. Maybe it is right. But I don't think the movie spent enough time with her to establish to the audience that she is in fact an unreliable narrator and potentially like like morally compromised. The other thing that it does, so after the biological father goes off to war, the biological mother eventually seeks a different suitor. She goes for a like she starts seeing another man. And the the movie kind of presents that as a little bit like morally ambiguous. Like, why would you do that to somebody serving in the army? And this is a film that is presenting like sex workers in a positive light. There's a lot of talking heads uh, in positions of authority who are women. Uh, like, uh, like the 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 film is majority led by by like women. So there's no sexism otherwise. It just doesn't like the woman in the wheelchair. And so I was just like, when I watched this, I was like, the other thing, when, when I watched this, I, w- I was just, 
fascinated by this, by the movie not liking the Hmong. And one last thing, when they first introduce the mother as a talking head, like diegetically, like in the film, when they when the when the camera first like like comes on inside of the room where the mother is, it slowly pans from left to right onto her face, and it wants to show you like the horrors of the passage of time, like how time has ravaged this woman, and she looks like a little bit like lecherous, like kind of like a witch, like it, it's very unflattering. So they 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 they're trying to like signify to us that there's some ugliness in her character. I'm pretty sure you would agree with that. The goofy thing is like the way it does it. It reminds me of this like famous shot in a film, The Mulholland Drive, like in this like dream sequence uh, in Mulholland Drive, uh, where um, there's a, like two cops in a diner and they're drinking coffee together. And this guy's like recounting a bad dream that he has where he encounters a goblin at the back of a, of a, of a convenience store. And the scene cuts to this cop, like within dream logic, like going to the back of the diner. And sure enough, the monster slowly fades into the screen from left to right. I swear to God, that is what the Netflix documentary is alluding <laughs> to. It honestly wants you to think the woman in the wheelchair is a monster. And it's so strange to me. It, it, it baffled me. I, I wondered, like, I wondered if the movie didn't want to suggest that she was an absentee parent because of her disability. So it left it up to interpretation as to whether or not the disabled element was a part of the story. But it really does want you to think that she's like a like somebody with a mood disorder who couldn't keep a partner and subsequently wasn't a good caretaker because she was just all over the fucking place. But yet all of the veterans in the film and including Floyd, the, the movie will even it even spent some time recounting the like abusive origins of him way more than the mother. And so I was just like annoyed because, you know, the woman in the wheelchair. Anyway, that's my rant. Did I make it? And did, I, did any of that make sense? I really hope it did. No, could you just try again from the beginning? <laughs> Sorry, that was a caffeinated. I was. I've been wanting to get that off my chest ever since I fucking saw it. I can tell. When did you first watch this movie? Like, like a, a week ago. And you were just like, I need somewhere to express this. Yeah, and I was the victim. I, you were the victim. I made you my victim. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's it's just like they there like you go. <laughs> only a little. <laughs> Which and you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be sorry. But also, I don't buy your premise. I will buy that maybe she became disabled in the tornado. Maybe, but now we're basing an entire episode on a movie because maybe she's disabled. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it happens to be true crime. And I happen to care not at all. Did you notice that every room? No. Wait, just wait. Just every room where there was a talking head, all of the characters were afforded a space that looked warm and accommodating. Like, no. One of them was like in an empty gymnasium with gray seats. Another one was in an empty library. Then they went back to the empty gymnasium. Empty gymnasium? Yes. Oh, I didn't. I forgot about the empty. But that was because uh, the uh, woman. Was she disabled the whole time? <laughs> no. 
Was it actually a gymnasium full of wheelchairs? The <laughs> Imagine this podcast just becomes like my disassociative ramblings about how every movie is disabled. Just somewhere off screen there is a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, like, yeah, my whole life becomes like, where's Wheelie? <laughs> where's Waldo? <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong that she was in a wheelchair for her talking head, but she also looked so old that she should have been in a wheelchair. That's ableist. <laughs> <laughs> you called her a witch. Yeah, I'd rather put her in a wheelchair than on a broomstick. I, I said, I said that the movie presents her in a witch-like manner. Okay, well, the movie presents her as old <laughs> enough to be in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, clever Tony. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck, dude. I mean, maybe. You're definitely not... It's not outside the realm of possibility. You just... But it's a stretch. <laughs> I, I don't know. It just didn't sit right with me. As did she. That's why she's in a wheelchair. Well, but... It's the only talking head that the movie's willing to slander, and they spend the shortest amount of time. Did with they it. slander her? I didn't even notice that. Oh yeah, that fucking social worker said, "Like I can't believe she did that to her kids." And like one of Sarah's employers at the gentlemen's club said, "Like I could never have done done that to my kid." And frankly, I don't believe her. Blah blah blah. So like, yeah, judge, jury, and executioner. Like she's guilty as charged. And yet, every way in which the biological father was absent was totally okay because he was traumatized by the war. You know, like it, it, it's a, it's a double standard. Uh, and and so yeah. But the other thing is, is like if you're if you want to establish, if you want to establish a talking head as like a bad person or a villain, you got to spend more than five minutes with her. And also, tell me why she's in a wheelchair. Netflix. <laughs> I agree. So at least we didn't know whether we can cover this movie. <laughs> well, we just did. <laughs> it was like the first time for this podcast where our movie selection is the spoiler. Like, spoiler alert, there's a girl in a wheelchair at the end of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I I knew as soon as that, like, as soon as the reveal happened, you would be like, what the f- Fuck, are you even thinking? I was yeah. so mad. I was so mad. I know you were. I was like, she's not even disabled. She's just old. Because you shared your screen, and every once in a while, you would bump your mouse, and it would show like the timeline bar at the bottom. And I yeah. swear, that thing was not moving. <laughs> every time you moved it, I'm like, that's exactly where it was before. <laughs> I'm so mad. This is not moving. It's a night. And then it would be like, eventually you bump it and it'd be like two thirds of the way through the movie. And we still haven't seen a wheelchair. And then it was three quarters of the way through the movie. And we still haven't seen a wheelchair. And then it was five sixths of the way through the movie. (laughs) And we still haven't seen a wheelchair. (laughs) And then finally, you see the push bar on the back of a wheelchair and it pans over. To an old lady in a wheelchair who talks for three minutes and then it's the movie ends. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, and then we got to the last minute of the movie and I doubt that I even fucking saw a wheelchair. 
I'm still not sure there's a wheelchair in this movie. <laughs> I spent more time looking at a rocking chair than a wheelchair. Okay. No, it's not okay. <laughs> her talking head, they put her in like, in like a wheelchair. No. They put her in a wheelchair. And they, 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 they put her in a wheelchair. That was the room that they put her in to talk to her. It was a wheelchair. She got up out of her other chair that she was sitting in. And they wheeled in a wheelchair and they said, sit here. Jamie wants to talk about you. Everyone else gets like, they get like a nice room with like a little love seat and a, and a, and like a hot cup of cocoa and all these books in the background and a thrill pillow that says like your, your spouse loves you or something. And then, but she gets like, she's literally like in a parking garage, like a red brick. Yeah. It's really weird. They're like this, like feral wheelie bitch is not a person so we're just gonna you know we're not gonna give her a fucking cup of cocoa (laughs) i've gone crazy i've gone crazy (laughs) i feel you need to take a break from true crime (laughs) you're right tony i need to go on vacation i need to come to ottawa Uh, it's fun though sorry dude that's okay I'm so happy to talk to you I just feel like we didn't need to go through this to have a conversation <laughs> imagine if this wasn't for a podcast I was just like <laughs> <laughs> Tony <laughs> I would, but the thing is if this wasn't for a podcast I wouldn't have made it 15 minutes into this <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would have turned it off after the first time the highlighter appeared <laughs> yeah right yeah but if you like True crime, you'll like this movie. It's good. <laughs> People at home. You might. I don't know. I don't know. Let us know if you think she's actually in a wheelchair. She was in, and it's one of those ones that don't, I don't understand the message. That's, That's why I don't think she was in a wheelchair. Because if she was in a wheelchair and also 100 years old, she would have been in a wheelchair by now. The wheelchair they gave her is the same one they give you when you show up at the airport. No, it looked like it was prescribed by an occupational therapist. I don't think so. It was blue. They don't give you colors. They give you blue wheelchairs at the airport. <laughs> no, they don't. In Oklahoma, for They sure. don't give you custom ergonomic chairs. If it you wasn't ergonomic. Not... It probably still had the ring on the back to hold the oxygen tank. <laughs> no, the one-size-fits-all are always black and brandless. They look like they were like sold wholesale at an auction from an insane asylum they look awful i'm not convinced at all that she didn't get given this wheelchair to sit in i need i need i need someone who enjoys the podcast and ostensibly like has not been totally uh turned off by my current rant i need (laughs) you i need you to go and watch the movie and then privately message tony and be like jamie's right Oh, that's what you need. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what you need? Yeah. yeah. I thought you need to, like, maybe take a break from true crime. <laughs> but what you need is to bring more people into it <laughs> and then badger me about it. That's what you need. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It <laughs> uh, was really fun, though. Yeah, it was I just fun. wish you, you thought we could hang out without watching bullshit. <laughs> Bullshit. 
You should just call it this episode bullshit. <laughs> don't don't even don't even put the title of the movie. <laughs> the girl in the bullshit. <laughs> uh, uh, that was that was really fun. Yeah, let's let's play Wheel Breakers next week. You want you want to skip it this week? Yeah, yeah. We'll wrap it up here. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I was thinking if you. If I were to make you fully able-bodied, and the only catch is you only have to sit in a wheelchair for five minutes every 95 minutes, would you do it? (laughs) (laughs) It's such an awkward interval of time. (laughs) You couldn't couldn't get anything done if you had to stop what you were doing and go sit in a wheelchair for five minutes every 90 minutes. Yeah, I'd do it. Of course you would. <laughs> I wouldn't, though, if you said that I had to be able-bodied and watch only true crime for the rest of my life. I couldn't do it. Fake crime? I would watch fake crime, because at least it's done by good storytellers. It just feels like, like sometimes I talk to old people, and they start telling me stories, and I'm like, I bet you this is a great story if someone else told it. Yeah, that whole anecdote about an old lady walking into your apartment and gossiping about like local murders. Yeah, that was a, that was a weird one, Tony. That must come from a, a dark place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it happens regularly. People just knock on my door. Someone else died. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, it was so good to actually talk to you again. Next time, let's do it with a better movie or just for fun instead of having to force conversation out of watching bullshit. Yeah, okay. I promise I won't do this to you again for at least another 10 episodes. Yeah, I was going to say two weeks. Yeah, but thank you for indulging me anyway, Tony. Thank you for letting me have my caffeinated rant. For those people still listening, uh, (laughs) if you really do want to go watch True Crime, watch the one we did another episode on. What was that called? Mommy Dead and Dearest? Yeah, that was a good one. That's legit true crime. Yeah, and our guest, it was so fucking Oh, that's such a good episode, too. Oh, my God. Yeah, watch the movie and then listen to that episode. But don't don't watch this movie. He's wrong. Don't let Jamie know I said that much. Okay, bye, everyone. (laughs) Bye.